Heavenly Father, thank you for your new mercies this morning. You give them to us every morning. Pray that you quiet our hearts to hear from you. Pray that we would say true things about you this morning, that we would believe them, that you would stir our hearts in love for you because of them, Father. Pray that um, you would help us in every way to glorify you in our words and deeds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for, so for those I haven't met, and for those I have met, I'm still Dave Sutton, uh, one of the uh, elders here at uh, DRBC. So, um, and as I mentioned, we're going to be going through uh, a, a lesson here today on made in God's image. Um, I will talk fast at the beginning because inevitably I feel late, and then we might end up with some time to discuss because I've talk, talked fast. Please interrupt with some questions, but we will, I will pause for some questions uh, as we go through. So um, let me put some, somebody on the spot. Anybody? Michael, yes. what's so good about you? <laughs> it's kind of a trick question, but you'll see. Yeah, there you go. All right, so you cheated, and we're, we're skipping ahead, so yes. So there's lots of good things about Michael. But, um, but uh, one theologian, Peter von Maastricht, put it this way, the chief excellence of created man is in the image of his creator. For while God, by the way, for those of you who haven't met me, I'm a crier, just ignore it, please. The whole point is focus on this. But anyway, the, for while God has impressed, as it were, a vestige of himself upon all the rest of the creatures, yet only man did he bless with his own image, that from it, you may recognize not only what the Creator is, but also who He is and what His qualities are. So we all know the, the passage in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. And just listen as and how I read this, this, uh, this verse. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And probably most of us have read that enough times, right? And we, where was God made an image? Well, it says here in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. And we kind of, like many verses, I think I, you know, we tend to read over that. And it's great. Um, but I think if you read it slowly with some emphasis as I, I tried to do there, we're not overdoing it, right? But I think, and think about exactly what God is doing. That he's making a creature to reflect him in this creation. And we start to see this for the massive event that it is and the massive significance that it is to us. Um, we are not just, mankind is not just the finishing touches on the creation, right? He's not, he's not the cake topper, he's the crown of this creation. Um, you know, God, God did not make us just to be kind of a piece of this creation, one of the other creatures that happens to reflect him, but to share in it and to show God's good care by us being a regent over it, under him, and a creature that doesn't just do what it was created to do like the other creatures, but one that looks up and, and enjoys God and knows him and walks with him in the cool of the garden um, and who can fill the earth be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with more of those reflections of him going throughout the earth. So that's our heritage. That, that's what God did for mankind. Um, and the fact of that and the implications of that, I think, are much bigger than we probably realize or than we live out, uh, speaking for myself. So I want to dive into that. And we got, you see the five sections there on your outline. Um, we're going to cover five different topics there. So in what ways do we image God? So how, how do we image him? What does that really mean? Um, why? Why did God make us to image him? Um, what happened to God's image in the fall? And then we'll talk about some implications of that and then how we can do it rightly. Those first three kind of are, that's sort of setting the state, like what are we talking about? We image God and what's happened and what's our state. And then the, the, we'll, I would like to spend a little more time on those last two, the implications of that, and then how we image it right, him rightly. So starting off on number one, very broadly, how, all right, how do we image God? What does that mean? So in the top level sense, we do it in our resemblance. This is a theological 
theologians term, in our resemblance of the communicable attributes of God. So everybody's heard of communicable and non-communicable attributes. There's things about God that he doesn't give to us. His divinity, his infiniteness, his self-existence, right? We can't have those things. But there are a lot of things that God can communicate to us. And um, that's what it means, that obviously, that we're, that we're made in his image. Um, we are, won't have time to dive into all the nuances of these. Um, feel free, you know, when we pause for questions, to bring up questions on any of these things, but there's a long list. And you could do a whole lesson on, well, exactly what does it mean that our knowledge is in God's image and that sort of thing. But let's just go through and look at all the things, uh, all the ways in which we are in God's image. I think three big ones to start out with, those top ones that you see on the list there. Number one, we're relational beings. We're designed for relationship. Um, God is Trinity. And we heard it even in the language of Genesis 1. Let us make man in our own. He's communing within the Trinity in that way that we just can't understand with our, with our finite minds. Um, and people will say, well, animals have pride. You know, lions live in prides and, and mama birds love their baby bird. No. You should stop and think. Unique to all of creation. We are created to have relationships that carry with them all of the rich realities of life sharing of our hopes and our, and our affections and our wills and help and just think of every, every rich aspect of a relationship that we were created to have that. And, so, and that's, that's reflecting this, this mysterious relationship of perfect happiness and community that God has within himself. Um, second, we can create. Um, not ex nihilo, out of nothing, like God does, not without the constituent parts beforehand, right? But um, we can certainly create. You know, um, a man, and again, animals do amazing things. If you watch any National Geographic show, you're like, whoa, you know, amazing things that these animals build or do, but they do that by instinct. And they do that. Like, you don't see a bird build a nest and go, you know, I think a nice little couple over here. And, uh, you know, they just, they build awesome, really cool nests on cliffs, but that's what birds do. But then you look at man and just, Stop and think about it. You see where this is going, right? Art, music, uh, architecture, inventions, taking this earth, right? There was no such thing as a semiconductor when God created the earth, right? But we, he put in our minds to go, oh, if I take some of this part of the earth and I some of that part of the earth and I do this to it and I can make this machine and I can, oh, wow, I can go explore the moon. Uh, it's just astounding the things that come out of the mind of man. You think... Well, Mozart was writing, you know, some of these Bach four or five hundred years ago, and we're still coming up with new music somehow, right? That's a, that's a reflection of God's creativity in his universe, in us. A third kind of big over one is that we are immortal. We will live forever. We're not eternal. We haven't always existed, but we will live forever. Um, and both the godly and the ungodly. You know, Matthew 25, uh, Christ says, when he's talking about you know, those who have rejected him, he says, these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. So we share, we will live forever with God. Um, beyond those things, we're spiritual beings. And there's several verses on there that kind of give you ideas of where we get those things from the scripture. But you know, Paul says, who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person within him. Um, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So we see we are spiritual beings. We're not only spirits. I'll talk about that just in a minute. Um, but we are spiritual beings in a way that's unique. We have a will. We're told to set our minds on things above. We're told, you know, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Um, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we, we, ha we are able to exercise our will against things. We have intellects. That kind of comes back to our ability to create. But uh, Isaiah calls us, come, let us reason together. Paul 1 Corinthians says, I speak as to sensible people. You judge what I say. We are able to think about things and ponder things um, and reason them through. We have affections. Again, different affections. Like our dog has affections. He's got a lot of affections, right? But it's a different, we, have, we are able to be drawn to things and to love things and to value things and to give ourselves for things in a way. We're, to, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Um, David, oh, how I love thy law, right? And then we see affections, we'll talk about this later too, warped. For, you know, Paul, Timoth Paul writing to Timothy says, for redeem us in love with this present world. Has, has abandoned us, right? So we see that we have, um, effect, we have knowledge and understanding. So Paul prays that we will walk in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, excuse me, in the knowledge of God. 
um, Proverbs says that we can apply ourselves to wisdom and understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Solomon applied his heart to seek and to search out wisdom and all that is done under heaven. So we can, we can know and we can increase in knowledge. There's, there's a sense in which God doesn't communicate om, omniscience. to Like we don't know everything at once the way he did, but there's a sense in which, and I think, I remember Ben Robbins saying, actually, omniscience is a communicable attribute, but not in the sense of the all-knowing part, but knowledge. We can know and understand in increasing ways. Um, righteousness. We're made in his image in righteousness and holiness. We see that in Adam at the very beginning. He was created able to fellowship with God and walk with him and was given a perfect standard to follow, and that was reflecting the Lord in, in purity and in obedience. Um, we see all through the scriptures, there's about four, four or five times in Leviticus, Leviticus there um, that's then later Peter quotes. It says, be holy because I am holy. We're called, to, we're called to reflect our creator in that holiness. So all of these different ways, and there's, you, we could probably go through many, many more ways that we are, that, wow, God is like that. That's what God wants us to be, and that's what God is like. And that's what he's wanting to reflect into his creation and enjoy, and enjoy in us as he looks at us. Um, two final points I think that are important for us to know. We're, we're in, sorry, I make sure I didn't stop my recording. Looks okay, good. Um, we're in God's image, not just in our spirits, but also in our bodies. So we're not, this is a longer lesson too, but we're not spirits and our body is just like this little car that, we're, that is carrying us around. We are embodied spirits. And so, and you can see that as you look through the scripture, God, God does not have a body, obviously, but our faculties display his abilities and capacities, and our, our members are explanatory of God in numerous ways throughout the scripture. We see God, so his arm is not so strong. God sees. He hears our cry. He knows, so there's a way in which our, our physical bodies do things that are helping us to see what God is and does and is able to do. So it's not just a spiritual thing. Um, and then secondly, we're, we image him in our maleness and femaleness. Um, again, a much longer lesson, right? So uh, that variety and the distinction is part of our imaging. Um, and so it's not just that well, I'm a man, so I image God in these ways, but not these ways, because that's what women image. I mean, there's, a, there's a way in which all of humanity, together as male and female, we each fully image God. And it's also why we can't, those two together are why we can't, you know, my male body is part of myself and my image of God. And I can't say, oh, but I'm a, but I'm a woman. Right? That, there, so there are implications to the fact that each of us, as male and female, are created to image God. Again, much longer discussions on that one. So that's a lot. But I think at least A, maybe the big takeaway from this, is just the degree to which we image God. Um, how much of himself he has put into us. Um, how much of himself he wants to see reflected to himself in us. Um, it's not just ancillary, right? It's not just imitate, we should imitate God because he made us like him. It's, it's not just a child who looks like their parent and trying to do the things they do. We are made in God's literal image to, to gloriously reflect him. So, you know, a reasonable question for those of us endued with, endowed with intellect and minds, right? Is, well, why? So why, I'll, I'll throw the question out, why do you create an image? Don't, if you've looked at the handout, don't, sorry, I, that's twice I did that, right? Why do you create an image? Yes, sir. To reflect the beauty and value of that which you are representing. In yeah, image. well said. Yeah. You, the short way to say that is you make an image to image. That's what it's supposed to do, right? It's to image things, right? So God made us so that we would image him, so that his image would be displayed and spread through his creation, and so that he could enjoy and delight in his image in us, right? So think of now, there's some analogies. Think of a statue. You know, why do you make a statue of somebody, right? So that we will think about that person. So to communicate something about that person. Uh, generally, to honor that person. I, don't, I can't think of a statue that was made to ridicule someone, right? So we, we say, th if you make a statue of Martin Luther King Jr. or George Washington, they're presented in such a way that it causes you to think about their place in history and what it is they've done and what they were like and it call attention to honor them. So images 
like you tell me wrong your name again, sir. Bob. Bob. Thank you, Bob. Uh, images are created to set forth, or to hold forth, and to bring to mind the reality, the thing in which, the, which they are imaging. So think about that. In our, we are created to hold forth and to bring to mind the reality. Um, so God created us that we would live and act and talk and relate in such a way as to show who God is, right? So that God could delight in and love his image on display in us and so that we could love and reverence his image on display in us. Not so we can love ourselves or worship each other, but we can love that image. It calls, it calls, that image should call our mind to the one that is, that is imaging as well. Um, so third point, and then we'll pause for quite, you know, how are we doing on that? Humans, you know, how's humanity doing on that one? Well, so, I mean, I think we all in this room understand the fall uh, marred God's image. It did not destroy God's image, but it did deface it. And it, it grossly distorted his image. Um, you know, to take our statue analogy, if somebody took a sledgehammer to a bronze statue, now that image is defaced. And you look at it and you're like, did that guy really look that way? You know, or is there something, did somebody discover something bad about him so he's not really that great? You know, like, you can see how it changes what it's saying about, about the one that it's representing. Um, it's defaced, and so it's not communicating what it was designed to communicate. Um, I think another, another good example I use with our kids is a carnival mirror. Like, if you look in a carnival mirror and you get that weird image back and you go, well, is that you? Well, yeah, it's me. Well, is that you? No, it's not. You see the difference, right? That's, that's my image, but it's distorted. And I don't look like that, and something's wrong with it. And so in the same way, we're misshapen in every aspect. All of those things that we just went through we're, are twisted and distorted in some way. So you know, just in our affections. Now our affections run after worldly things, or unholy things. Um, in our dominion, it's now wasteful, or lazy, or irresponsible. Um, in our relationships, we're built, now they're exploitative or they're selfish in some way or, or lazy. Or take, you, you can see how in every way that carnival mirror, that it, everything has been defaced. And so now it's not saying what it needs to say about the Lord. Um, but the key point in there is it's not destroyed, it's defaced. So it's defaced, but it's not destroyed. And so the most horribly messed up person that you've ever seen, right, the most difficult and annoying person that you've ever had to deal with, right, is still an image bearer of the Most High God, right? However warped, however sad, that image is there, and it's to be honored. And we'll talk about that when we, when we get to the implications. So let me pause there for any questions on that, those three. I, I promised I was gonna race through the first three, but yes, Laura. Uh, so to the point in, in what ways we image God, <laughs> yeah, um, right. It seems provocative to use the word immortal. I think of the song immortal and immortal. Yeah, right. So in my understanding in the past, the word immortal is strictly reserved for God's mm -hmm. immortality because we do die and flesh. Who alone dwells in immortality, so right? Yeah, that kind of thing. Right, yeah. So I, I, that, that word was used by a number of different theologians. And so if they're communicating the point of maybe a better word, if it helps, is everlasting. You know, so... In my mind, I think, you know, so we'll get, we need Ben Robin. Where's Ben Robin when you need him? You know what I mean? Give us these little new, but like eternal, to, is, that's, he has always been. That's the, he is self-existent. He didn't have a beginning. He didn't have it. He needed no cause. He is the, the only cause. Um, he was, he's the only uncaused one and we are not. But immortality, just strictly, basically speaking, means live forever, right? And we will, we will live forever. God created in his image beings that are now going to live forever with him or with, without him. And so there's an image of him in that. So you're right. There's a, we, we always want to be, make sure that we ascribe to, to ourselves only things that are worthy of being ascribed to ourselves and to God, the things that belong to him. So yeah, in, immortality in the sense of like, all, I think of it as his self-existence and his eternality. Um, if it helps, saying everlasting, or just say, we'll live forever, and that's how we image God. Right. You're right, that's a good instinct. Any other questions? Testimonials on how you've warped his image? No, we don't have to do that. <laughs> that's, that's for our communion together, right, as 
as brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, well, so let's get into some implications. Um, what, okay, what is this? We, I went through that fast, but okay, this is big. We image the Most High God, um, and we're created to do that and reflect Him through all the creation. So let's not, since we went through that fast, let's not lose that as we kind of talk, okay, what's the implications of that? Um, a first, and I think most significantly, and this is, I, I can't remember where I first heard this phrase, but it's exceptionally been, been exceptionally helpful. You are not the point of your life. Um, and it, we always, all of us act like we're the point of our life. And yes, we're responsible to do the things that we do in our life, but this is not, we are not the end. God is the end. We're a means to that end, which is to bring him, to make his glory shown more and more in the universe. Um, our very lives are communicating about God. It's not like you should, when you communicate about God, make sure you do it rightly. Our lives do communicate about God. Um, similar, total aside, I've, I've heard the same thing about fathers and leading in your family. You are leading, just poorly or badly, right? That's for free, that's a total tangent. But anyway, back to our point. Um, yeah, we, we're, all of our lives are communicating about God. So, all, everything we do, right? What we prioritize, what we delight in, uh, the way we handle our money, the way we steward our time, uh, what we watch, what entertains us, um, how we act at work, we go on and on. All of those things are communicating about God all the time. Um, uh, so a couple of, so that's the big, that's the biggest one. We speak about God and he is the end, not us. And our lives aren't for us. Our lives are to glorify him. And so we need to be aware that everything that we do should be, should be, and it is communicating to that end, right? So two other ones I think that are important to consider, one of them in relation to God, and then one of them in relation to others. So the first one is, you know, as those who bear God's image, in order to image him rightly, we must love God. So we'll, we'll stop and think about this a little. The highest and the best way to image God is to love him supremely, right? What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So that, that's the first and greatest commandment. That's the highest and best way we image him. Uh, because God loves himself supremely. Um, he is, and that's a, that sometimes that's, you know, people like, God loves himself. We're not supposed to love it. Well, he is the one supreme and only worthy object of worship in the whole universe, period. So if he did not worship himself supremely or love himself supremely or value himself supremely, he would not be God because he would, that would be wrong, right? So that's, we can talk more about that concept, but it's, I think it's important for us to say, you know, how, we've, how we value and love God shows how valuable he is, right? So if we're bored with God, we're bad images. We're warped images because God is not bored with God. God delights in God. God delights in God more than anything more than us. Praise, praise the Lord that that's true, right? Because his zeal for his own glory is what dri is driving him to create us in his image so that he can, we can be relational and know him and reflect him and be part, of, be part of his work. So God is not unhappy with himself. He's supremely happy with himself and his glory. Um, think about what he said when Christ was baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's, he was saying more than just hey, Jesus is doing a really good job down there, and I'm happy about that. He was like, I am well pleased with my son and with the spirit and with the communi communi communion that we have with each other. So don't rush on to all the ways that we should image God and forget that loving him and pursuing him and longing after him and longing to see him in his word and asking him to show himself desiring him, our affections turn to him, our wills turn to him, is the first and greatest way that we image him because God is delighted in himself and he wants us to share in that. That will bring us delight. It's not like, well, you should delight in God at, at the expense of all these other pleasures. That is the supreme pleasure for which everything else will, will, will just fall into place. So that's the first one. Um, I didn't pay my wife to say amen. So, yeah, so, <laughs> or even ask her to. So. Um, so that's with relation to God. How do we image God? Okay, now let's think about it in our relationship to him. And then an implication of this truth that we image God with respect to others, right, is that it's very simple. The fact that, we, that human beings image God 
should color every single interaction you have with every single person always. And that's, that's sort of, you know, I, ha I spent a lot of time this week just kind of thinking about that in all kinds of different contexts. Um, remember we said, you know, God's image, however warped, right, is in the most messed up and difficult people that, you've, that you encounter in your life. Right? The homeless addict, your exceptionally difficult in-laws, uh, the abortion doctor, your fellow church members, your spouse, your kids, right? That's God's image is in all those people. Um, I'm not saying your spouse is as warped as a drug addict, right? But we're, it's all warped. Everything is difficult about this life. Every person that you see, right? And we'll talk about that implication in just a second. But it's not, and this isn't just a reminder to be nice uh, when you deal with difficult people, right? So it is that. They're in God's image, and we ought to be. But this is a, a realization that this, this has implications for every single person that you meet every single time, everywhere, always. Um, and that's something that we tend to forget as we go about life. Um, these people are all made in God's image. And that applies from everything from murder to how we talk. Right? So God told, remember after the flood in Genesis 9, God said, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And that was after the fall. So we're not, it's not like, well, the image is kind of messed up, so have at it. This is still his image being reflected, which he is remaking. We'll talk about that in a minute, right? And so this is important. But also how you speak. And James, when he was kind of... Uh, rebuking, exhorting the, his readers about our, our speech. He said, he was talking about the tongue, and he said, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Right? So that's, okay, I won't murder anybody because they're in God's image, but do I snap at people made in God's image? You know, do I act like they're a burden to me in this minute because I'm annoyed or I'm inconvenienced? Um, it has implications for all of our life. Um, one big application that I think warrants mentioning here is pornography. And it's, just, it's serious enough in our day and age uh, that there are many reasons to flee it. But in our context here, uh, I think we should hear that getting uh, fleeting, prurient pleasure out of the use and 99% you know, of the time is the abuse of any person, right, is taking one of God's displays and grotesquely misusing it and defacing it. So, um, yeah, that's just, that's one of the particularly heinous ways that mankind has devised, right, to mess with, to deface God's image. So I think it's important that we, that one needed to be called out in my mind. But uh, to our larger point, just a reminder that how we love other people in every context shows how we love God and is so imaging him better, right? Just as our love and value of God himself reflects him, our love and value of other people reflect, <laughs> reflects him. Um, I came across an excellent quote uh, by C.S. Lewis, and so I want to re read the whole thing here. Just listen, because I think it's, it's awesome. So he said, this is in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, little g's, right? To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. So you see what he's saying? Every person you see could be so glorious you can't imagine or horrific that you can't imagine, depending on their eternal destiny. All day long, as we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of the, all, sorry, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. 
That's, that's profound. Uh, it was to me. It's not just how you treat that homeless person. This, it's, your, your wife is destined to be either an awful horror that we couldn't imagine in eternity or a glorious being that we can't even fathom right now. That's what they're destined to be. And so that's how we ought to be interacting with that person in view of what they are, not, not just what they, what they will be or could be at some time. So um, maybe that's a good exercise for lunchtime conversation, right? After this afternoon, think about how our lives would change if we saw people this way and then go through specific, not if I saw people this way. How would my life change if I saw my kids this way or my wife this way or my pastor this way or the neighbor this way or just Pick your topic, and have, that's a good thing to discuss over lunch. So, um, our imaging of God has immense importance and immense implications, and we all know how warped of an image we portray and how poorly we're imaging him, right? So, what's the remedy? And we'll wrap up here, and we'll, we still have time for discussion here. So, the rem how do we image God rightly? So, number one, we have to be recreated in his image. There, we can't do this ultimately on our own. That's the gospel, right? We're unable. Um, John 3.3, 3. remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? You must be born again. That's what you, again, reborn into a new life. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So we have to be remade. Um, God's image has been defaced, and so it needs to be remade. Um, and that's what's happening. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, right? And Paul told the Colossians, we're to put on that new self, put off the old self, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're, that's fundamentally how we're going to image him better is he's remaking that image in us and doing that for us. Um, I like Romans 8.29. Anybody know Romans 8.28? Pretty common memory verse, you know, God causes all things to work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, and we share that. And I'm not saying that that way to diminish the importance of that verse. But look at verse 29, and it says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So he is working all things together for our good. For those, to what end? to conform us into his image. He's not working all things together for our good so that we feel better in a crisis. Um, I, I hope we do, I hope we do experience his love. He's working all things together for our ultimate good, which is to be conformed to his image uh, and to reflect him as we, were, as we were created to do. He's remaking us in Christ's image so that Christ might be the firstborn, and that may, doesn't mean the first one in order, that means the preeminent one among many brothers and sisters in, that, in the Greek, right? Many of his images remade and recreated all through the creation and then living with him in eternity to worship him. So God has, just as God populated his original creation with his image, right? He's filling it now with those remade in the image of his, remember, beloved son in whom he is well pleased in that image. So he can be as pleased, um, pleased with his image in us as well. Um, that beloved son who is the express image of the father. Right? And so that brings us to our second point. So how do we image him as we're supposed to? Well, first we need God to remake us, to recreate us, to, to refashion that image as it were. Um, and then as we live our lives, okay, what do we do? Well, we look to the, as, the, as Colossians puts it, the express image, right? We don't know anything but marred images, right? You look in the mirror, look at your, you know, roll over in bed in the morning, Look around the congregation, right? that's all we ever see is images that are warped. It's like everybody's walking around with these carnival mirror glasses on almost, you know, except that the, those warped images are actually, are actually warped. Um, but now the Holy Spirit has put new life in us, beginning to remake that image. And so like a child, we want to please our good father, right? And so he, we, oh, he's, he's good. My eyes are opened to the fact that he's good and perfect and I want to be like him. And how, so how do I know what that looks like? What does that even look like? Well, I hope, hope the answer is obvious. First way it looks like, anybody want to shout it out? Jesus, right, yeah, exactly. So John 14, seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. 
From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Right there, Christ just lays it out, right? And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And then in Colossians, it gets more explicit, right? It says Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, meaning the preeminent one of all creation. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So how you can see the scripture trying to explain that to us, right? He's, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the exact imprint of his radiance just telling us that's God. That's, that's what the image of God looks like. Look at Jesus. Um, and so we can start by reading the words of Jesus, right? Reading God's words about Jesus, looking at his life, learning more and more about who he is and what he's like, um, contemplating what it is that he did and is doing for us, all of these things. As we behold him, we become like him. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 said, right? We all, with unveiled face, now we can behold him. The Holy Spirit has opened our eyes. Beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, right? And I'm with you. I'd like a bigger degree of glory each time, and you know, but it's just one degree of glory to the next. He is doing his good work in us. He's causing all things together to work for our good, to conform us into his image. So, but the good news of the gospel, right, is that God will do it, right? Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So as we long, as we look in our mirrors and see the warped image, and we long to not be that warped image anymore, we can take solace in knowing that God has determined those whom before knew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He has determined to do this work in us. Um, Romans 8, 29, for, I just said it, for those whom before knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he is working that image in us. Um, and so as we go about our lives this week, I've, per I've personally wanted to really spend some time this week thinking about, A, how am I longing after and pursuing Christ and seeing the image of God in him and then letting that image transform me. And then secondly, also just spending some more time at what it, what does it mean, how, can I, how would it look in my life to see everybody around me every day as that image that we talked about at the beginning of this lesson? That glorious image of God, marred, warped, sadly, that should grieve me, but destined to be either something horrific or something so glorious that I would almost be tempted to bow down if I saw it now. Like that's, that's, that's what's walking around us every day from the annoying guy in the next cube to your kids when they're at their worst or at their best, right? We need to see God's image in each other and, and treat them accordingly and see ourselves as, as ministering uh, to them in that way. Any questions or comments on that? I talked fast enough, we're done a little early. Remind me your name again. Arthur. Arthur, right, yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you for helping for teaching yeah. us. Um, you had mentioned uh, James, um, three nine. Mm -hmm. Our tongue can bless God and can also curse men. But they may, in, in one translation, says the similitude of God. Mm -hmm. In the SV, it says likeness. Right. right. Do you ever read God's word and see a difference between image and likeness? And the reason I mm -hmm. ask that is because in the early word, Genesis, we see it together. Right. 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 In Exodus, we see one of the Ten Commandments say, carved image. And then pretty soon they're after likeness. Mm -hmm, right. And yet in other places we see them separate. Right. Know? Right. Right. And I just was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah. I was like, do we just gloss over it as one and the same, some overlapping or meaningful distinction? Right. 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 Um, I didn't. I didn't actually. So I'd have to look a little bit more on what the exact in each instance. What's the Greek or the Hebrew word that's being translated as image or likeness right. to see if, if there's a difference? Even then, um, we have different words that can be used to express the same idea. So the fact that it's, this is, you know, when you're getting in your strongest concordance, the fact that there's a different Hebrew word or a different, a different Greek word doesn't necessarily mean that there's a big 
profound and necessary difference between the idea. Um, it may, it may not. I'm not, in this case, I'm not sure. My, I think, just based on what I've read and studying for this, while I didn't go into that exact distinction, that by and large, we're talking about the same thing. It's a, think of it more as a facet than a difference. So God's image, likeness, where image, think showing him, if you're gonna use the English kind of word, likeness actually in, in, in our substance, in our ontology, like him, where there are things about us that are the same as about God in terms of, in terms of affection and will and all those things that we talked about. And that's imaging him and it's showing that, that might be two facets of really the same reality. And if you, I'm, uh, I have to look it up but real quick on my multiple translations comparison, but there are different translations, even of Genesis, will say, let us make man in our likeness, or let us make man in our image, and that sort of thing. So, Bob. One yeah. of the things that you'll notice more in Psalms, for instance, is that in Hebrew, they will use nearly synonymous terms and mm -hmm. repeat them for emphasis, yep. not for distinction. Yeah, that's a good point. And that would that's probably the case. And in Genesis 127 is poetry. Interesting, if you look at the, I don't, I don't know how Hebrew scholars determine what's poetry, not in Hebrew, but it's, if you look in your Bible, the things that are kind of called out within dense are poetry in Gen verse 27. So he made God in his, in his image, in his likeness he made it male and female, right? So it's, it's probably just to grow and expand on that same awesome reality, which is we're made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, like him, sharing in his attributes, all of those things kind of together communicating that. Really, that's my sense of it. Yeah. Now I'm going to go back and look at those two words this evening. Laura, yeah. Um, so when we think about someone's eternal state being mm. you know, that sort of horrific image or that glorious image, right? I think I understand if I if I imagine that someone's future self is that sort of horrific image, it's going to lead me to more sharing the gospel with them more urgently, right? Right. But the glorious image, can you could you answer your own question for me, maybe? Yeah. Like, how I interact, like I know my husband is safe. Yeah, right? right. So I know that one day he will be that glorious image. How does that change how I interact with him here on earth? Mm. It doesn't end up looking like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to say it. The first thing is, Mike will take care that it doesn't turn into worship. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, we husbands, don't worry. You won't be tempted to worship us. You know what I'm saying? So that, all right, so that part's out of the way. Uh, I think, um, I'm trying to remember where I read this and who said it, because it was good. But it was in the context of lust. It was a message to men. And he said, how you, and, it, and, it, and then it was, I think it might have been, I, don't, I forget what, if there was another larger kind of book it was in. Anyway, the sentence was, how you treat God's daughter manages, manners to God. Right? That, and so it was, he was speaking to husbands or speaking to men generally about, you know, so, um, I think what it is, is if you see, if we see each other as, as we tend to, someone who's there for me, so, someone who's here to be, to help in my life, you know, and make my life easier, or, you know, that's because we all tend to do that. Um, if we see them as getting in the way of something we want, which is generally what happens, that's what's happening when we get annoyed with somebody, it's, it's always our will is crossed, right? And so therefore we're irritated with somebody, um, or what have you. Um, rather than saying, oh, this person is not, first of all, here for me. I'm not the point of my life. God is the point of my life and theirs. You know what I mean? And oh, by the way, I'm supposed to, you know, you can, all kinds of verses, I'm supposed to give up my will and all that. And oh, by the way, that's not just Mike. This is God's child who he has remade and is now fashioning into his own image. And he's delighting in that image that he's making in him. And one day, his destiny is to be in glory with me, both of us worshiping God. For, like, just that context is going to make me be nicer. I mean, the, the, to use the theological term, right? I, I don't want to diminish the important, you know, the, but what would it look like? Maybe it would just look like that I would be more, that I would love Shannon more if I actually viewed her. <laughs> Here I go again, right? If I viewed her as that. And not just my, not just my help meet. She is that, right? God created us male and female, and there's a beautiful thing there. But it's, that's not for me. That's that's because I wasn't man couldn't do wasn't going to do this well enough on his own. It's not good for him to be alone. So he made a help meet so that male and female they glorify God together. 
So just that perspective, I think, is going to help us. And it, the hard thing is keeping that perspective in the day in and day out. When I'm up, when it's time to go to church, when, uh, that's the hard part. So what would it look like for me? Maybe I would just remind myself of that more often and spend a week or longer med meditating on that. It's something I think as Christians we don't do because the word meditation connotes like, you know, meditation. No, that's not what the Bible means by med It means think about, ponder, mull over. What does that mean? How would that look? All that, you know, so spend some time on that and it just, and then ask, then pray. This isn't all our efforts, right? Lord, help me. I'm seeing this. You've shown this to me. Help me to, help me to treat her like your daughter, not my wife in, in that sense. You know what I mean? So that, does that answer the question? Yeah. There's, like I said, good lunchtime conversation. What does that mean? How would it, how would it look in any given situation? You know, so. Other questions, comments? Lyle, then Shannon. <laughs> so I was wondering if you could talk for a minute about um, the ways that image can be misused in the Bible. And there's something really interesting that I've been thinking about as you were mm -hmm. um, describing, you know, what is the role of an image? Right. It is to reflect, to right. um, reveal, and to communicate and show. Right. Um, and yet, there's also this limit on what we do with imaging. So outside of like what it means to be a person made in God's image. Mm. Then God says in the Ten Commandments, like, don't make images and likenesses of things to worship. Right. And, you know, this is just, as you know, like such a recurring subject kind of in church history. Like, yeah. when can we right. use images and when can't we? Right. Um, so I wonder uh, you have any thoughts yeah. on kind of like, how do we take the fact that God creates image, creates us in yeah. image right. to communicate things? But then also tells us, like, no, 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 no. right, yeah. Willy-nilly creating a bunch of images. Right, um, right, right. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. How we're to, what we're to make that? Um, I think there are a lot of things in the Bible that are reserved for God alone, yeah. number one. Um, and it's not, beca it's, be it's because I, he's God. So that, that's kind of a blanket statement. I think in terms of images, I'm, it has to do with the fact that who was God imaging when he made us? Himself. Like we said, the only one worthy of being magnified and glorified in any way. The only one worthy of being, uh, of being loved <laughs> in, in the ultimate sense, right? We're all, we should all love each other. But, um, and so to create an image of something else for the purpose of worship. You know, so if you, make, if you carve a bird and put it on your shelf, that's not, viola I don't, that's not a violation of the Ten Commandments, right? But to create an image with the pr express purpose of making that part of our worship is now, it's Romans 1 in the worst sense, right? It's trading the glory of the Creator for the, for the, image, for the images of created things and crawling beasts and creeping birds and all that. So God has said, no, I am the only one to be worshiped. And the only image I have authorized and created is in man. Not anything else. There is nothing that images me on this planet except you, all right? So don't go making any other images to try and get at me, you know, sort of thing. I think that's the essence of it. And so, yeah, that's kind of the short answer I would give. It's, Bob. It's yeah. almost like, we said earlier, the image reflects mm -hmm. something wonderful. Yeah. An idol is an image which replaces it. <clears throat> right. Yeah, exactly. And it's the object of our worship. It's yeah. something that is worship now, drawing our affections from God. Warping that aspect of our image, right? Uh, yep, Mitchell. Uh, just off the, that point, it, oh, everyone's out image that we see out there, mm -hmm. we always depict him at their best. But it's Christ, we depict him at what would be his worst. And what Pilate wanted him mocked at, that image, when sin and degradation has all been fully attached to him as a sacrificial lamb. Mm. We, he's really the only one I can think of through history we depict at his most violent end. It is what it would be, what yeah. would be you could consider his lowest point as a human. Right. Well, and the paradox there, paradox, the, the, it once says the glory of it, is that in his humiliation, he was, he was, he was in fact accomplishing the greatest, <laughs> the greatest thing in God's you know, predestined uh, plan for his creation that was going to happen redeeming his creation for his own glory. Um, and so, yes, to our human eyes, 
you know, the image that we saw was being horribly mocked and defaced and bloodied and everything else. Um, and the reason that we don't think that's good, but we delight in that is because that was for our redemption by God's, uh, according to God's purposes. And so it was a glorious thing in a sense, in, in that sense. Yeah, you're right. Shannon, did you have something you were going to say? Oh, I was just going to add that I think, you know, one of the things that sin has marred in our affections that were meant to reflect God is in the way that we uh, that we love the wrong things. So I think mm-hmm. back to what we're saying, our our tendency is more to worship ourselves. Really. <laughs> Not that we're in danger of worshiping other other people, but our tendency is to worship ourselves. Yeah. Ourselves yeah. primary and first and everything. So when we choose by God's grace, to love another broken, hard person like God loves us, that brings him glory. Mm. That does put our eyes off of other people horizontally and back on the perfect you know, yeah. creation. Um, the one who is, you know, or, or Christ is the exact representation of God when we look at him. The only, the only perfect human worthy of worship as the exact representation of God. So we know we're not called to worship each other as image bearers, but when by God's grace he does redeem our affections and enables us to love another broken human being, I think that it's not worshiping them, it's actually worshiping worship to God, right? More truly the image of God because that's how he loves us. Honoring his image in that person for his sake and to his glory and that, even that image is God. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that's exactly what, that's exactly what God did. He loved his messed up image enough to die for it. You know, and so we love, we, we don't love the messed upness, but we recognize and honor the image that we see in others for his sake, because he's commanded us to, among other things. All right. Good discussion. Let me uh, pray for us and we'll get out on time. Heavenly Father, these things are often too great for us, Lord. Surely we don't grasp the fullness of your purposes in creating us in your image to glorify you. But Lord, you have revealed in your word, Lord, your actions and your purposes and your commands to us. And so, Lord, help us to see those clearly. Help us to rejoice in the privilege that is ours of of bearing your image in this world. Forgive us. Lord, for the times and the ways that we fail to do that. Lord, make us more into your image each day. Help us to honor it in those that we see, those who are close to us, and those that we just interact with through the day. Lord, that you would get the glory as, you, as only you are due. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.